Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm uh, excited to be here. This is a, a bonus episode. I'm going to be doing an interview with Toby Sumter here in uh, Idaho, Moscow, Idaho, not Moscow, Moscow, That's right. Idaho. Okay, got that right. Got it. But I'm going to pray, and then I'm just going to shoot him some questions and ask him to tell me a little bit about himself. And uh, uh, Toby, thanks for, for making the time, man. I appreciate thank you it. for having me on your show. Absolutely. Well, let me pray, and then I'll, I'll shoot you some questions. Father, just thank you for your, uh, for your grace and your mercy to us. I thank you for a friend and a brother. Just before I recorded this, I said his name wrong, and he's already been gracious to me. So <laughs> just thank you for him. And uh, with these questions, I, I just ask that it would be helpful to, to the listeners. And uh, I just trust, Lord, that you're going to work. And uh, just thank you for this time that we have. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, just to tell us a little bit about yourself. For those who don't know you, I would love for, for them to know a little bit more about you and uh, tell us a little bit about your family, and then I'll get into questions about when you were converted here, here in a little bit. But just tell us a little bit, a bit about yourself. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. Grew up in a uh, pastor's home, a Presbyterian uh, pastor. Uh, my dad's in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, OPC. Uh, still serves uh, that denomination in regional church planting. Okay. Um, uh, I lived in Southern California, Alaska, and Maryland growing up. I went to college at New St. Andrews College here in, in Moscow. I uh, met my wife in high school in Maryland. Um, met when we were 14, so we're high school sweethearts. And uh, nice. got married in 2000, so we're coming up on 19 years of marriage. Um, and, uh, and we have four children, two boys, two girls. My uh, oldest son is uh, 14, he's a freshman in high school. I got two daughters in the middle. Um, 12 and 10, and then my youngest son um, is seven, and uh, rock in second grade. And uh, I am one of the pastors at Christ Church uh, in Moscow, um, the, uh, basically associate pastor uh, alongside uh, Pastor Douglas Wilson. And um, so I came here in 1998 to go to college. I did Greyfriars Hall, which is a pastoral training program um, here, uh, sort of um, part-time uh, and that's what the Lord used to kind of drag me into the ministry. Okay. Um, I went to seminary at Erskine Theological Seminary, which is a Presbyterian seminary down in South Carolina. Um, and uh, then I was called back here. Initially, I was a pastor at Trinity Reformed Church, which is a sister congregation here in Moscow. I served there for almost 10 years. Okay. And then just a year ago, came on staff here at Christ Church. And, um, I think that, that, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thoroughly Presbyterian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. From yeah. The, yeah my, well, the closest. The closest. So sometimes I try to get a little bit of street cred with my Baptist mm -hmm. brothers, but uh, I, uh, my dad actually was saved in college and uh, finished at Portland State, landed at a Presbyterian church, but was going to uh, Multnomah. Um, it's a Baptist uh, college. Okay. And started to get a little bit, and they're, I don't know, I think they're more like dispensational and that kind of thing, but so it was a little bit more like, whoa, what are these two worlds? Right. So went down to, so wasn't sure about baptism initially, mm -hmm. but his pastor encouraged him to go to seminary down in Southern California at Westminster. Okay. So all, um, those are my earliest memories um, there. Um, but I was actually baptized by profession of faith at four. Oh, wow. So, oh. Uh, but that was, but then my other youngest, my younger siblings were all baptized covenantally okay. at the same time. Yeah. So we had this big happy, yeah. But my parents knew I was a believer. And so they're like, well, can he just, you know, profess his faith? So I became a communicant member, yeah. baptized and member of the Presbyterian church at f like four and a half or something like that. Awesome. Um, so. I'm hoping for that. For maybe maybe side. like best of all worlds. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Now yeah. give, give a little plug for Cross Politics. Yeah, I've been yeah, absolutely. Getting into, to listen to your podcast. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, also, uh, yeah, co-host of Cross Politic um, show and podcast with um, Gay Branch and David Shannon, a.k.a. Chocolate Knox. It's uh, called Cross Politic because uh, we really wanted to bring the gospel and all that God says from Genesis to Revelation to bear on politics and culture. Uh, there's a lot of, pod I didn't even know this when we started, but there's a lot of Christian podcasts that focus on evangelism or apologetics or theological issues. And there's a lot of political podcasts, mm -hmm. Rush Limbaugh, you know, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro, whatever, Matt Walsh. But there's really relatively few where like Christians, trained theologians, pastors come and bring theology and 
um, what the Bible says to culture and public life. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't realize, I didn't even know what podcasts were when we started podcasting. It really, okay. I, I thought it was just how you download sermons. You right. know, I was like, <laughs> it's just easier to say radio. Podcast but, is just yeah, radio. Yeah, right. You do um, a radio show. But yeah. but now, yeah, I, I've I've actually seen a little bit more and realized, oh wow, this is a, there's a there's a gaping hole here for mm-hmm. Christians to step into and say, what does the Bible say about this policy? About yeah, you know about good. Donald Trump's State of the Union address about immigration, about abortion, I mean, all these things. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Appreciate that. So you said that you, you kind of got this internal and then began an external process of, of ministry when you went to New St. Andrews, is that what you said? Tell us about your kind of internal calling ministry and then what that looked like, the external yeah. process of becoming, you know, a pastor. Well, I, I, um, I always have looked up to my dad and thought highly of the ministry and so on. Um, I, I actually, I, I was, I didn't feel much of a call um, through college, okay. um, uh, but uh, when I finished New St. Andrews College, um, I loved this community. My wife and I were, you know, newly married. There were a lot of other young married couples here. We were getting this wonderful uh, Bible teaching on marriage and family and practical Christian living from Pastor Doug, um, and and so we weren't in a hurry to leave. I really mm-hmm. wanted to study more. I didn't know what I wanted to study. There was not a, a graduate program that right away like hit me like, yeah, that's the one I'm going to do. So I was kind of looking into grad programs. And Greyfriars Hall is an in-house kind of seminary sort of program, uh, primarily run by Pastor Doug, but overseen by the elders of Christ Church. Okay. And so I went and sat down with Pastor Doug and I said, um, I don't really know that I want to be a pastor, but I, I would love to keep taking classes from you, study, mm-hmm. you know, reading theology books and listening to you teach. Can I do that even if I don't think I want to be a pastor? And he said, well... Do you think you would, you know, be willing to be like a lay elder in a church one day down the road? And I said, you know, sure, I can imagine something crazy like that. And um, and so he said, sure, you can take classes. And um, and so I started sitting in on Greyfire classes part time. One of the first books I read was um, Spurgeon's lectures to his students awesome. for that uh, for this program. And I remember it's a few chapters in. Uh, there's one of one of his lectures. He actually begins by saying, if you can do anything else besides be a pastor, do it. Yeah. And I remember reading that and thinking, yeah, that's me. I, I don't need to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. And, and, I, and I, that's how I entered the program because okay. I was like, I just want to study with you. And I wasn't going to be a pastor. And I read that and it was like, confirmation, I don't need to be a pastor. I, I, like, I was teaching at the time. I was teaching um, uh, you know, at a, at a little Christian school here in town. And I, and I loved that. I'm going to be a teacher. You know, I, I, just, I wanted to write. I've got other interests. I don't need to be a pastor. Mm. Um, and, and, and then over the next like two or three years, basically, the Lord slowly kind of hemmed me in, just practically. Actually, it was just there, the options were were um, closing, like the doors were closing. Of mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I needed to support a family, of kids coming. I didn't want to go into crazy debt to go to school. So right. what am I going to do? And meanwhile, um, I had um, fellow Greyfriars students that actually um, started to call my manhood into question because I didn't preach. Hmm. Okay, you know, what, what kind of man are you? You're, well, you're not preaching. You're not preaching, right. and, and 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 God used some of their godly mockery. Um, uh, you know, there's one pastor in particular who's serving in Minneapolis now. Who I thank him every time because he would send me emails and be like, "What's wrong with you?" Hmm. You know, uh, and, uh, nothing. And uh, so there, <laughs> that's a good kind of peer pressure. Yeah, that's it was absolutely. And um, you know, I mean, and obviously maybe it could go badly in some situations, right. but um, the Lord used it in my situation. There were opportunities to preach that Greyfriars had, like special services, and there were some small churches around that didn't have pastors, and so you could sign up. And every time I just passed the thing over, you know, and somebody else could sign up. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a pastor. Yeah. And eventually, I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And I'll sign, and I signed up, and I went and gave a sermon up, you know, uh, two hours north of here in this little tiny podunk town. And uh, it wasn't that great. And, I, and my wife was like, yeah, I don't know if this is for you, man. Uh, she's, she's a godly woman. so she's got a lot of brutal honesty she, from our wives. Yeah, she, she gave me some good. You know, but, then, but, but then the church actually specifically asked if I would come back. Wow. And I was like, Wait, what? <laughs> okay. And so I came back like once or twice more that year. And then the, the following year they said we would actually get, like to get a rotation so we don't have random preachers. Would you be willing to commit to once a month? Okay. Like, All right. And then... And then from there, they, that, after that year, they asked, they knew I was a teacher, they, they knew I needed summer work, and they said, would you intern with us and be our pastor for the summer? Uh, and at the end of the summer, they asked if I'd stay and be their pastor forever, and I, mm-hmm. I actually said, no, I, I just can't do that. But in the middle of that, several other churches were inviting me to come, like, they heard I was preaching, that I was one of the Greyfriar students, and they're, you know, kind of in our network, Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, mm-hmm. and so they were calling and saying, would you come and candidate here, we need a pastor, you know, would you come consider being our associate, and I'm like, 
no. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm 23, I'm 24. I got, you know, a one-year-old at home and, you know. But the Lord closed a bunch of doors and then flung a bunch of doors wide open, like, here you want a pastor, here you want a pastor, here you want a pastor, here. And so in the middle of that, I told my wife, I, I think God's calling me to be a pastor. Mm. Uh, and I was warming up to the idea, too. I preached okay. a number of times, I'd led worship. People had been, you know, asking me pastoral questions, and I'm starting to do, like, informal counseling more, especially with this one church that I had quite a bit of uh, time spent with them because they didn't have a pastor, and mm -hmm. I was the face they saw bringing in the Word every week or many weeks. And, um, and, I, and so the Lord, just, I mean, I, I felt more and more comfortable with that. Like, I think I'm doing good here. Um, and so they have a, you know, there's a need, there's a demand. I think I have a supply. And, um, and meanwhile, practical needs of just needing to support my family and, and find something long term. And, uh, and so I said, I, so I told my wife, Let, let's look into going to seminary. Um, it was partially because I thought, well, if it's ministry direct, you know, I'll get more training that way. I also um, thought if, if it didn't work out, I'd have a master's degree and maybe I could teach, you know, yeah. uh, at a higher level. And third, it was kind of a delay tactic because okay. I, I thought I needed to buy some more time. My kids are young. I need to get, I need to grow up some more. So that's when I went to South Carolina. Um, but actually the Lord, as in the Lord's providence, I ended up going to South Carolina to go to seminary because one of the churches that had called me to ask if I would come consider being their pastor kept on calling me back several times. And I was like, no, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm not interested or I'm go, I want to go to seminary. And I applied to a couple other of the big name seminaries and was trying to figure out some way to do that. And um, and they said, well, there's seminaries down here in South Carolina. Why don't you come down here? Just promise to show up on Sundays and we'll help you get through seminary financially. That's fantastic. That's and great. so the Lord just sort of flung this door open and I, was, and I, and I went and visited and it was, it was a good fit. So I, pa I ended up actually pastoring a, a, a church in Greenville, South Carolina mm -hmm. for two years while I went to seminary. So. And that is so cool. It's it's neat that God made it really clear for yeah, you. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't even I wasn't sure, but yeah. the Lord knew what He was doing. Man, that's so cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So you've mentioned your family a couple times, and one one of the things that I've seen in ministry, particularly with older pastors, is that there is a tendency to sacrifice. If you had these two paradigms, sacrifice family on the altar of ministry, yep. and I see some younger guys offering to to sacrifice ministry in the altar of family. And there, the call for rest, which we all need to rest, and we need to yeah. to practice Sabbath and yeah. guard family time. Yeah. And I kind of see these. There's always two. I feel like I'm perpetually in two ditches, and then every once in a while I'm in the middle of the road. Right. You know, right. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But for you, with your family, how do you ensure that your family remains a priority to yeah. you, and that you don't get lost? You know running on a hamster wheel of ministry and yeah. wake up, oh my gosh, my kids are grown and I didn't spend time with them kind of yeah. thing. So how do you ensure and fight to keep family a priority over, yeah. over ministry yeah. and the demands of life? Great question. Um, I, um, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about in a sense. I think there's always, I mean, faithful parents are, are even with their children constantly, you have to hover, especially when they're young and you're, and you're watching, you know, how's this going? How's this going? And you're making course corrections. So I'd say part of it is just, you hover over it okay. and, and you're, you never think, okay, now I got it. You know, now, because part of the challenge is your family is growing up and they have different needs at different times. And so when your kids are really young, they have particular kinds of need, like you've got to hover over them in a certain way, but you can't keep hovering over them like that when they're in middle school and high school, mm -hmm. but they need a different kind of hovering. And your wife is going to need different kinds of attention at different points as well, depending on the demands at home and the kids and so on. And so part of it, I would just say is you just hover over it. Okay. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you just want feedback. I mean, you want your wife telling you how's it going. Um, and, um, and there's a, and then there's of course a leadership component in that. And, 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 you know, I sometimes use this example in premarital counseling for, for, you know, guys preparing to get married. Um, you think, think of it kind of like uh, the, the head game in, in, a, in, in athletics. You're, you, know, you have to get feedback from your body, in, but your body also is, is just telling you how it feels, not necessarily what it's capable of. And so you know, a good coach you know, says, no, you can run one more. And you're like, no, I can't, no, I can't. Yeah, you're you going to die. And, okay. and you finish, and you're like, thank you, thank you, thank you for making me run another lap. You know, and you, 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 the, the, a coach pushes you beyond what you think you can do, uh, and, and when you're done, you love them for it, mm -hmm. and, and you're better for it. And so a, a man has to learn to lead his family and, and push his family, but not beyond what they can actually bear. And, mm -hmm. and you know, because if you actually blow out your Achilles running or you know it's something, you like you you totally messed up. And you can't so you can't actually crush your family with ministry mm -hmm. stuff and, and with the pace. But you have to. So what you want to see is are they thriving? 
Mm-hmm. And so this is what I've told my wife and my kids for years is I, I'm not I'm not in this to for my family to survive. Yeah. I'm in this to see my family thrive. That's good. And it, so, if so, my, good. so if my family's not thriving, I'm doing something wrong. So my family is the first check. Mm-hmm. Like how how's my time management going? How's my attention going? I want my wife and my children like just not just again doing okay. Yeah. I want them doing very well. Awesome. I, I want them full of the joy of the Lord. I want them full of laughter. I want my wife, I want, you know, I just want, I want her to be flourishing. And that doesn't mean that, you know, every moment is happy, happy, joy, joy, but it's like, I want to see that trajectory. And if I'm not seeing that trajectory, I'm slowing down. I'm taking it, you know, do we need to switch something up? So, you know, we've done different things over the years where, you know, maybe my wife has a part-time something or other on the side. And sometimes we go, nah, kill that. Mm-hmm. You're home. We're just focusing on home. Um, sometimes we, we, we did a, we've done a mixture of homeschooling and Christian schooling over the years, and that's been partially us kind of hovering over it. Um, and, um, and now we have all our kids at the Christian school. My, my wife is part-time there. Okay. Um, but, you know, different things at different times, wanting to see them really healthy and thriving. So I think, you know, practically, I do very little in the evenings. Okay. Uh, I just, I've just made a basically, you know, you know, here and there, I have something in the evening, but a lot of pastors are gone every evening of the of the week. Oh yeah, and I just yeah. I just made a commitment pretty early on that like um, I was my 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 rule of thumb is I want to be home more evenings than not. Mm-hmm. So that's you know so you know my max would be like okay three evenings. Yeah, but I don't need, I my average is less than one. Well, that that's the that's the line for my wife and I. If yeah. I see that if we have more than four nights a week gone. Yeah. That it's a matter of time before we're fighting or bickering or we yeah. have to have at least four nights yeah. that we're that we're home. And I love that too about your kids because you know the I would love for my kids to grow up. I got two boys, yeah. uh, Ransom and Valor, yeah. and uh, when they grow up, I would love for them to say the opposite of what so many preachers' kids say. You know, right. preachers' kids have you know notoriously just don't like the church or don't like their parents even. You know, yeah. just Absolutely. I mean, burn out or whatever. And Absolutely. I would love for them to say, you know, I man, I love that my dad was in ministry. Yeah. I love that he was a pastor. Yeah. And it was awesome growing up in there. You yeah, know, and my, and my dad modeled that well for me. That's good. And um, and so I'm yeah I'm trying to I'm trying to continue that. But I yeah I I think and and just recognizing that some of it is is just it's pure like you just got to be home. Mm-hmm. You, you know you you just you got to be there. Yeah. And and you also and you want to and we make sure that our kids are not just getting our dregs. Mm-hmm. Our, our our kids we're required by God to give our kids actually our first our first fruits. And if everybody else in the church is getting the first fruits and they're getting the dregs, you're communicating something to the kids about how important they are. Yeah. Um, and that's disobedience to God. So the best of your critical thinking, the best of yourself, the yeah. best of your planning, the best of your strategy, yeah. that's going home first. Yeah, and it, and, and it doesn't have to be an either or. I mean, you can, one of the ways my dad did this for me is, I mean, he took me out with him a lot. Okay. Um, I mean, I, especially with like doing evangelism, my dad was, is, is this like, I didn't know that this was that odd and maybe it's, Maybe in some ways the the caricature is changing, but you know, it, you know, in the OPC, I just thought everybody did evangelism, but you know, I guess that's not the the OPC's uh, reputation, or at least it wasn't for any years. But my dad got saved in college because somebody loved him enough to share the gospel with him, and so I grew up in a home where my dad just believes believed that, Wonderful. and so we would go to the mall and we would do a book table. And we would go to the, you know, the, the county fair and we would do something to, you know, get, you know, to talk to people about Jesus. We would go to the park and we were that, you know, he'd, I'd walk with my dad and we'd walk up to the guy, you know, the pe- poor people at the picnic table and, <laughs> hey, we want to hear, we're here to talk to you about Jesus. Oh, and, so good. and so, but what my dad was doing was actually, he was doing that very thing. He wasn't having to choose between ministry yeah. and loving his son. Just life. He was loving me. Yeah. And, and I've told people over the years that, when, when he did, like, I don't know, like some evangelists, like you just see all the fruit. And I like, honestly don't know. Like I'm, I've never asked my dad this question actually. And, you know, like, so dad, what, what has been the fruitfulness of all of your evangelism over the years? So, you know, some evangelists, they're just like, you know, Christian, you know, there's just this fruit that just follows them everywhere. And I don't know what that actual legacy is, but what I do know is that I am the fruit of his ministry. Oh, so good. So my, my dad so going over, like, and I'm the kind of idiot who needed that. Like I needed him to share the gospel with hundreds of people in front of me. So that I would love the gospel, That's and, good. and so whatever he was doing all through those years, he was ministering to me, and so he was giving me his first fruits. He was giving me his energy because he said, "Let's let's go, son. Let's go out." And you know, and half the time I'm the squirmy middle school kid, like, "Oh man, this is embarrassing," and mm-hmm. you know, whatever, and trying to get over that. But he was 
he was giving me tons through that. And so I think, you know, you can have, you can do hospitality, you know, have people into your home, you can do stuff where, but, but you do it for your kids, not just for them. It's like, Hey kids, this is our ministry together. So I think there's ways of holding those things together. But I think, again, you want to measure, there's a great story with, um, I think, I think I probably botched details, but, um, it's a Jim Wilson story, Doug's, uh, dad, um, who started a lot of the stuff here. And, one, the, he was one time had a guy that had come over to get some counseling and, and, and they were sitting in the living room and, uh, and they're, they're talking and, and Gordon Wilson, who's a biology professor at New St. Andrews now, is Doug's little brother, okay. was a little kid at the time and apparently kept on running in and asking his dad questions and then would run out and just doing little, you know, little kid things. And, fi- and finally the guy that Jim was counseling kind of got a little frustrated. He was like, can you make that stop? And, um, and Jim said, no, because he's more important than you. Oh, that's so good. I right, love that. Right, right, that's, right to the guy. And, that's good. And and I think that's important. I think you we model that for our people. Yeah. Like, and it's it's and, and it obviously shouldn't be like that. Pastor loves his family. He's family obsessed, and we can't ever get a minute with him. Yeah, I mean, that would be a problem. But it is right that they know that your family is more important than them. It well, is right for them to know that because good. you're modeling for them that same priority. Their family needs to be more important to them mm-hmm. than other ministry. Yeah, and that's so good when, when you know guys have kids that are young, especially tra- being able to train your kids or your church members that the epicenter of evangelism and discipleship is in the home. Yeah. And that, that you know, you're not going to have as much time to go out and meet meet people for coffee or, yeah. or have discipleship relationships within the church, but but you're investing your time in the church as right. you're investing your time in your in your family. It's yeah. just so good. Yeah. Man, that's great. I want to interrupt this episode real quick to tell you about the Shepherd's Crook Intensive. The Shepherd's Crook Intensive is a two-day event at Current River, Missouri, May 14th through the 16th. The cost is $175. That provides food, lodging, and four sessions in which I'll be talking about who is a pastor and what does a pastor do. This is going to be a unique experience, and I think if you come, it would be a lot of fun. I'd love for you to check out more information at theshepherdscrook.co, and thank you so much for doing that and listening. Now back to the show. So you seem like a pastor that has some friends, and uh, that's a shocker for some reason. <laughs> I, I've talked to so many pastors that have, have said to me, you know, you can't have friends in your local church. And these same pastors on the other side of their mouth will say, but you have to have real accountability in the church. Yeah. And that's a, you just can't have that. You know, you can't right. have real accountability without friendship. Right. You know, you're, you got your podcast, you got, uh, you know, you just seem like a guy that, that makes friendship a priority. And how does that uh, how does that happen? Because I you know I see a lot of pastors and I've fallen into this myself. And I don't want to just make two broad strokes of statements about pastors, but this idea of loneliness that and there is elements of truth of loneliness in the ministry. Yeah. But a lot of it I think is built on this false understanding of what pastoral ministry is, and it's a it's a kind of a martyr complex of, of just oh the, the loneliness of ministry. Yeah. And I encourage guys to say hey it doesn't have to be that way. I mean you have elders, you know right. you have people that you're spending time with. Uh, make some friends. So for you, why is friendship important? And, and I'm kind of presupposing that it is important yeah. for you, but why is that important? And then why is it important for pastors to have friends? Yeah, yeah there's a lot there. Um, one, one thing I think is first really important is I think we need to define friendship biblically. So I think there are unbiblical assumptions that frequently creep in to um, our thinking. And we, we watch, you know, a show called Friends, or we want, you know, we, we, we have, you know, this impressions that we get from social media or movies or wherever, like that's what friendship is. And I think we really need to back up and just say, well, what does the Bible say friendship actually is? Um, and read and make sure that we're defining it biblically because you could be setting your heart on something that God doesn't even promise you. It's mm, good. So, first off, check that. Um, but yeah, there is a biblical category of, of friendship. Um, I would say, um, number two, though. Um, pastoral ministry, um, just, I think is lonely to some extent. Um, and, and, and I guess maybe especially in terms of the, um, expectations that the world might give you of what, you know, what you deserve and, and the kind of camaraderie that you deserve. I mean, um, the, uh, we're, uh, uh, I'm gonna put a t- time stamp on this podcast, but we were here for a, a missus conference and the, um, and the, uh, the talk last night, um, Dr. Grant was talking about all the early apostles and they scattered and, you know, and they were, you know, presumably close buds. Some of them were brothers, a couple sets of brothers in there, but they scattered to the end, you know, they, 
and they took new disciples and so they're, you know, new acquaintances and so on, but they scattered and, um, and that was faithfulness. And I think, um, I think, uh, maybe one of the things we're also going to talk about is, is just manhood and masculinity. But I, I think there's a, a lot of feminine assumptions have, have crept into what it means to be a man. And then I think pastors sometimes are actually wanting the kind of friendships that are, um, feminine. Mm. Um, and, and I think, so part of the call is, you know, yeah, I mean, you need to have guys, you need to have, um, men, you, you've got to have a plurality of elders, I believe biblically required, um, which means that you've got to have guys that you are accountable to, uh, who you trust, uh, who will tell you the truth, who will, um, um, you know, who you eat with. Um, yeah. but, um, but I also think we need to make sure that we're not being effeminate. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, that you're looking for some kind of this, I don't know, you know, we're always going to get coffee and how you really doing and look each other in the eyes. And I mean, that's just, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's weird. Um, I, um, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's biblical manhood. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, I think Lewis, C.S. Lewis says somewhere that, uh, feminine friendships and relationships are face to face and masculine relationships are shoulder to shoulder. Hmm. And I think that's right. I think there's something, Good. I think that's, there's, you know, men fight together. We have common goals. We have common missions and every once in a while you elbow the guy next to you and say knock it off or or you grab him by the arm and you haul him up and you say come on you can do it but we don't look each other in the face and how you, you know how you do you know but, uh, you know <laughs> let's get together and let's, yeah. let's talk about our feelings yeah right no, i think that's a problem and so i think i think that's how martyr complexes have developed though is i think people are um i think not being manly hmm. um, i think they're being self-obsessed about how things make them feel um your feelings are liars your feelings are not that important. I tell guys all the time, kill your feelings. Mm. Kill them, right? Now, I mean, of course, I'm, you know, I'm overstating it slightly. Because, yeah, God gives us feelings and emotions are not sinful. And, you know, read the Psalms. David's, you know, got some feelings in the Psalms. Yeah. Um, the Psalms are there for us to pray to God and sing to God. Um, so every emotion that David expresses is a, is a godly emotion that can be expressed at a particular point in time. Um, but I do think a lot of that martyr complex is... Assumptions about what friendship is supposed to be yeah. for a man and for a pastor, which just aren't true. And it's a lack of courage, a lack of boldness, um, a lack of strength. Um, your job is to be faithful to Jesus, preach the gospel, and let the chips fall where they may. Let the cards fall where they may. And if that means that you've got a raucous, rowdy, happy bunch of elders that is, is a joyful you know, tavern every elder meeting, then <laughs> praise God. And if it means that you got, you know, one or two guys that um, are your close buds and, and you're working on it, mm. um, then praise God for that. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, um, I think we have to be careful about the assumptions. I think pastoral ministry really is hard. Jesus says, you know, if you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. you got to lose your life. Well, if you're going to lose your life, then that means you're going to lose friends. Mm. Um, and if, you're, if your heart is set on doing ministry and having a lot of friends... Um, you're in for a big surprise. Yeah. Um, I think I think if you you know if you're in pastoral ministry for a long time and you've not lost any friends, you're doing it wrong. And and that's not me saying you should betray a bunch of friends or you be, yeah. you should be an unfaithful man. I'm just saying you're not being faithful um, because um, Jesus had you know one of his best friends betray him. He had a lot of his friends let him down. Yeah. And um, and and abandon him at points. And and so I think this this comes with the territory. And if you're not cut out for that. Get out. Yeah. I, I, I tell my Greyfriar students, I teach Greyfriars now, and um, and I, at the beginning of each year, I basically say, I'm not sure you guys are cut out for this. You know, you know no, I don't think you're up for it. Um, <laughs> right? You're, it's going to be hard. And, and so, I mean, I think, I think we, need to, we need to get out of the um, training for pastoral ministry. Um, there's, a, there's a certain kind of setup that's just made it sort of cozy and academic, and you get, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's an indoor job uh, with a lot of sitting down and coffee, mm-hmm. yeah. and, and and that's false advertising. Yep. And or, or if it's real, then you're not really doing ministry. You're disobeying. Yeah, one, one of the things I've I've talked to our guys and my listeners about is that shepherding is blue collar work, and and yeah. and blue collar work has always fallen out of favor. Uh, it's always been good work, but one of the things I've noticed in our church is that. Um, with blue-collar people in the church, they already don't think pastors work. Yeah. I mean, it's already there. The assumption's there that they don't do anything anyways right. when they're studying and reading. And right. and so I, I've had a couple stints where I've worked construction, yeah. and one of the blessings that that's been for me is that I've realized that being a construction worker is hard. Uh, we're, we're getting Amen. out there and working on a job site's hard. And you don't get told that you're doing a good job. 
And pastors, once a week at least, get told by a lot of people, hey, you're doing a great job. And so a part of ministry with the whole friendship thing is, and I appreciate that because that's that's shaping for me to realize that there isn't a, you know, there isn't a promise that to to be an elder at a local church, you're going to have really great buddies. Right. But uh, you do need real spiritual accountability in order to be a faithful church. But I think male friendship really does look different. Yeah. And I and I and I think people need to recognize that you just need to be tough. Mm-hmm. And if you're not tough, if you're not, again, you're not thriving and God's not blessing you in it, get out. Yeah. Go get a different job. There's a lot of other things that can be done in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Don't be a pastor. <laughs> That's so good. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let me ask you a couple questions about, and, and some of these questions are just questions that I think, uh, that I want to ask. And then I just, I'm just thinking that my listeners will hopefully enjoy hearing your answers. So you, you've got a popular podcast and you think a lot about politics Policy, what's going on with on within evangelical, you know, evangelicalism in the nation. Yeah. And so you're thinking outside of this city a lot. Yes. And thinking outside of you know just local state issues or right. county issues. How do you give your? We talked about giving your best critical thinking and your energy and giving the best of yourself to your family. But how do you think as you're shepherding your people? How do you? think in these two worlds and, and, and not begin to drift to think out there. I think a lot of, it's easy for me even, I've got to fight the, the, the prophet mentality of, of I'm the prophet to the nation rather than a shepherd of a people yeah. locally. Yeah. And so for, for you, is there a discipline or within your prayer life, just open up, God help me to think about my people first. How do you stay local? Yeah. Well, um, first off, I would say, yeah, you stay local by, I think there's a time commitment kind of thing where you need to make sure that you're, you're, you're having FaceTime with your people. Um, so I think uh, pastors um, should be regularly counseling and discipling people in their church. Um, that, I think, just helps you keep your attention on the people right in front of so you. So your calendar needs to be full with who are you meeting with this yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just want my calendar to be weighted on the side of I'm spending more time with people here that live here and breathe here um, than not. Um, and I also... Um, and, you know, and that's why Sunday morning is also pr- very important. I don't want to be gone lots of Sundays a year. I want to be here. Um, uh, I'm gone occasionally, but I, I want to be preaching to my people. I want to be leading worship for my people. Um, and I want to be shaking their hands, checking in with them. And, you know, Sunday morning isn't necessarily the time where you're going to get into deep conversations with everybody. But I at least want to be checking in with them or being reminded of their faces, of, of their needs. And, and frequently it's a time where they can find me and they'll, they'll you know, thank me. Um, or ask me a question about what I said or something they're going through. But I think, um, first of all, just time spent with them. Yeah. It, it roots you, it grounds you. Secondarily, everything else I'm doing, even if it is interacting with state politics or national politics or something that's going on more broadly, I want to do it always in, with um, thinking of my people. So, that's good. So they, they're asking questions about Donald Trump. They're asking questions about the Supreme Court justice ruling. They're asking questions about this immigration policy too, and you know they're getting you know Fox News and CNN News and whatever else they're you know Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, Ben Shapiro. I mean they're listening to all that stuff too and watching all that stuff too. Right. And so I'm doing this for them, just as much as I'm doing it for somebody in Kentucky or or South Carolina. Um, I want I'm giving this to them. So. I, um, earlier, um, when I mentioned my dad doing ministry and bringing me along, um, I've even I've been so blessed and the Lord did this and I wasn't even necessarily thinking this when we started, but, um, cross politic has been a blessing to my family. Um, uh, you know, cause we, um, I, I come home and talk to them about what we, you know, some guy we interviewed or some discussion we had on the show. Uh, my son, my 14 year old son, he listens to every single show. Um, and he'll bring it up at dinner time, you know, Dad, when you said this, what about that? And the other thing. And then that will kick off other discussions with my younger kids. And a lot of the you know, Sunday night Facebook live shows, we, we usually stream on Sunday nights. Um, uh, you know, half the time we'll get a chance to, we're not too busy, we'll watch it, you know, and, and the kids will watch it with me and running in and out. You know, they're kids and they're playing yeah. and stuff, but it's for them. And so, and not only is it for them, but it's for my people. Um, and so, and that's something that, the Lord just done providentially, but now I've thought more, um, even more practically. I mean, we're the, Moscow's this crazy thing where there's a bunch of stuff going on, and it's kind of crazy. I mean, it just really is. I mean, the Lord just just blessed us, and you know, college. There's a K through 12 uh, Christian school. There's multiple businesses. There's a seminary program. There's a couple of you know, few churches. There's 
all the and all this stuff going on. And so now there's also even sort of an air traffic control element to making sure that we're not bumping into each other in certain okay. respects. And it's like, and God's really blessed it. There's a lot of unity and a lot of good, um, you know, brotherhood in, in it, but you can still accidentally run over somebody's foot, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we can do an interview and realize, oh my goodness, we, we swerved into that dude's lane over there, right down the street. Hey man, we're, you know, sorry, gotcha. we, didn't, we didn't mean to run into your lane and no, no, no biggie. And, and we're, now where is your lane? <laughs> you know, like, and you, so there's gotta be coordination that way too. And so mm-hmm. there've been a few places where we've just sat down with brothers in the community too and be like, all right, help us understand the dynamics here. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay, so we so that's been part of it too. Is like we we're I mean we're um, we're kind of we're rowdy Presbyterians. We're we're kind of we, you know cross politics is kind of a wild you know we, we sometimes well not some, we're just rowdy and, um, and, <laughs> right. and and we and we've got like politicians in town you know and we you know we've we we've, we've run at them hard and accidentally found out like afterwards, like, you know, one of our boys was like having meetings with him about something that they were trying to get to happen in Boise. And then like, we ran over him. Oh no. You know, and it's like, ooh, uh, you know, like, and, and it's like, everybody gets it. Like nobody's trying to, you know, um, bump, you know, hurt anybody, but it's like, yeah. we just have to be mindful of the local scene now. That's good. Because of um, the, the amount of influence and, and blessing the Lord's given to us, uh, we have to be careful that way too. That's so good. Again, just like everything else, that's that's helpful. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the things that are going on here in Moscow, and uh, you know, the first book that I read from Pastor Doug was Future Men several years yeah. ago. And yeah. then, you know, from I don't know if you know this, but you know, Pastor Doug is a little bit controversial, and you yourself really? a little bit, yeah, <laughs> right. And I'm sure everybody says that too when they talk talk about him. But a lot of the stuff on manhood and womanhood, or masculinity and yeah. femininity, have been so helpful for my family, for my wife. My yeah. wife is an avid re- reader of a lot of the ladies that are writing for Canon Press, and yeah. uh, just a, a question that that I want all my listeners are mainly men, yeah. and I want them to hear you answer this: Why is it important for a pastor to not just be a man? So good, good complementarians here, but not just be a man. But to be masculine, mm. why is that important? Some of that's related to what we talked about just a couple of minutes ago. I mean, yeah. Otherwise, um, I mean, so yeah, uh, you. I like the way you say that pastors are. It's a blue collar work. It should be if you're done right. Uh, it should. It's it's hard work. You should be tired at the end of the day, um, collapsing into bed, um, getting up early. I mean, it it's it. You know, um, it, if you don't have to drink a lot of coffee, then I don't know. You know, if you're even trying. Um, uh, the, I think it's, um, it, it should be hard work. And, um, and so that it, it, there's a reason why I think we've, we've, uh, we've set ourselves up when we describe pastoral ministry in such a way that women can do it. Mm, that's good. If that's a really woman, good. if a woman could right. do it just as easily, then now why is it that God prohibited women from being pastors? Right. We don't know. And so then the, the people who are trying to, you know, keep a grasp on the Bible or like, well, we don't know, but God said, so we have to. Yeah. But, it's a apologetic complementarianism. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm really we, sorry. We don't really know, but this, you know, but... it's a, it's a deep mystery and God, yeah. but I mean, but that's, that's the problem is we've actually redefined pastoral ministry. So, and, and I think if we actually understood pastoral ministry as something more, a lot more like construction work and, and warfare, that's why, right? God says <laughs> that good. women sorry. are not made for war. Um, women are not made for war. They're made to cultivate life, to make homes, to bring life into this world and to, and to nurture it. That, that's what women are made for. And that's what they're so good at. And we're not very good at it as men. But what we are good at is laying our lives down, sacrificing boldly. Um, you know, the women are, are, uh, are notorious, uh, gloriously notorious for being multitaskers and men are, you know, we got like one and a half things maybe on our mind. And, um, and that's our glory though. I mean, how do you get, um, men on the moon, a bunch of guys who did nothing else for months and years, you know, they probably didn't shower. They didn't eat well. They, you know, they were you know horrible human beings in certain respects, but they focused on something. We're getting to the moon. We're getting to the moon. Yeah. You know, how do you build suspension bridges? You know, like what? You know, what, how do you? You know, how do you uh, invent an airplane? You know, I read a biography of the Wright brothers recently, and it's just this glorious thing. And like, you know, they just, but that's all they did. 
um, they have focus. And, but that's what allows somebody to run in, onto a, a battlefield knowing full well that they might die yeah. and have a mission in mind and they just fulfill the mission. Um, that's why God has called men to lead the church. Because he needs men who have an eye on the, they focus their attention on the glory of God, the mission before them, and they don't care. Yeah. They, they're not thinking about anything else. And now, you know, the glory of women is they come and they tap you on the, honey, what about that? And you go, oh, good, thanks, thanks, you know. Yeah. And, they, and that's that's why you, you're not good alone. So you get the shoulder tap, I get the leg squeeze. Yeah, okay, like, yeah. Yeah. Come on, honey. Five yeah. pounds. You know, or the eyebrow or whatever it is, yeah. right? I mean, a good woman is going to, you know, we're not good alone. Uh-huh. But we are called to be the leaders. That's good. And so if, if that's that's why God, so we need to redefine pastoral ministry as a thoroughly masculine thing. It's hard. Um, it's hard work. You're going to be tired. You're not going to be liked. You're going to be hated. You're not going to have that many friends. Um, and you need to be good with that. Yeah. So who wants to sign up? Yeah, sign up. But it's, it's, but it's war. Yeah. It's war. It's good. So blue collar work and it's war. I yeah. love that. Yeah. that that's a, it, it, so it, when are you going to write that book? Yeah. Write, write, the, write I, the book on that. I've, yeah. We, little bits and pieces of it are coming okay. together. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. So the, the last uh, couple questions I have for you, it's just kind of a two part, but it's, it's the advantages and disadvantages of serving under uh, pastor Doug. I mean, you know, when you're early in ministry, uh, a lot of times you kind of popcorn around, bounce to different ministry stops. And yeah. for me, it's been every two and a half years, God has kind of picked us up and moved us into somewhere new and dropped yeah. us back down. And we believe where we're at, where we're at now in Carbonope for the long haul. This is, we, and that's, that's our hope and that's our prayer anyways. And, yeah. and we've always had that desire to be somewhere, my, my wife and I both, just for the, just for the long haul. Yeah. And, uh, but for so many, especially down to your 20s and, and into your early 30s, you're, you have these different ministry stops. Some people do, anyways. Yeah. And uh, there are advantages and disadvantages. I've, I've reaped the benefits from serving um, alongside some older men who have been very good and helpful to me and mentored me along the way. And then I've had the, some of the disadvantages of serving along insecure older men who have, who have really brought my family a lot of harm. Uh, and uh, yeah. so there, there can be, it's not always yeah. great to go and serve alongside somebody that's older and that yeah. you want to learn from. And it sounds great, but then you get their boots on the ground and and you get your teeth kicked in kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and God has his way of bringing glory out of getting your teeth kicked in as well. But, yes, he does. So what are the advantages that, that you have experienced serving alongside and underneath Pastor Pastor Doug? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, for me, it's been yeah, overwhelmingly a blessing here. Um, I, um, so just review real fast. I was two years a uh, pastor in South Carolina on my own. It was a church plant. There's one other elder there, but not a lay elder. Um, so I was the main preaching um, elder um, there. That's where I was initially ordained in South Carolina. So I did that for two years. Um, and then received a call to pastor at Trinity Reformed Church in, in Moscow here. It's a sister congregation. And initially I was pastoring alongside it. It was kind of a but um, a co-pastor kind of situation. We actually literally shared the preaching and, and, and okay. load. Um, but he was an older um, man, and so definitely senior in terms of training and experience and all that sort of thing. Um, after uh, four or five years, he moved on, and um, and then I um, became the main preaching pastor at Trinity for four or five years. Uh, there was another pastor that came alongside me, who was also kind of a co-pastor situation, but... Um, but I did more of the preaching, um, and then just a year ago came in under officially under Pastor Doug. Okay. Um, but it's a small town, and I've been being mentored by Pastor Doug for uh, almost uh, you know well since I came here to New Sanders. But as a pastor for about eleven years. Okay. So when I first got here, when I was pastoring at Trinity, um, Doug just said, "Hey, you're you're pastor here now. Um, how about we get lunch every couple weeks?" So I've been getting lunch with, with Doug every other week for 11 years. That's more, that's um, awesome. and, um, and then, you know, our elder sessions with, have met, um, the, the two elder sessions met, meet uh, once a month, once every other month <laughs> regularly. So there was that interaction. It's a small town. We have a heavy, heavy overlap of like families and friends and, and we're all a bunch of sinners. And so there's all kinds of, you know, uh, sin snarls that happen and, and it cross pollinates. And so there's frequent situations where I've been counseling, you know, a son or a daughter-in-law or whatever, and, and the parents go to Doug's church or okay. vice versa. Right. And so there's a lot of like coordinating that happens and that's happened over the years too. So we're in the trenches actually working on stuff where Doug will call and say, Hey, heads up, this is going on. Or I'll call him or email him and say, Hey, this is going on. So I've been working alongside him in many respects yeah. for 11 years, but 
now just officially for the last year, you know, in the same office together. Okay. Um, but um, easily um, is just, I mean, somebody with that kind of experience mm-hmm. um, it, um, is just invaluable. I mean, you're right. Um, that experience doesn't automatically equal wisdom. Right. Um, it, it can also, I mean, unfortunately, there are a lot of guys that should have, I mean, should have gotten out of the ministry years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, the, the family fruit dem- demonstrates it. You know, they don't like their dad. Their kids are unfaithful. They're, um, they're whatever. Like they should have gotten out of the ministry years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is just, you know, they, yeah, they're, um, they're insecure. They're power tripping, whatever. They're, and that's just horrible. Right. Um, but I, I always tell people, if you want to know what a church is going to be like, look at the pastor's family. Mm, that's so good because that's what First Timothy three has something to say it's, about it's that, like the right? Bible actually says that right. Paul actually says that in First yeah. Timothy three and Titus one um, uh, God God knows what he's doing and, and so um, and so I and especially when you have an older minister older minister I mean he's got grown kids he's got grandkids I want to look at that like go go figure out some way to see it and and Hebrews thirteen says you're supposed to watch the outcome of the lives of your elders so it's not you being nosy. Yeah, Hebrews so thirteen cool. tells people if you're going to put yourself in submission to the elders, which you ought to do, I believe in church membership. But you you do that because you want to watch the outcome of their lives, and so you want to know how's your how your kids doing. Yeah, and if a pastor is jumpy about that or defensive, run. Yeah. Well, what do you mean? Wow, my kids doing? <laughs> run. Yeah. Don't um, and, and but uh, Pastor Doug's children are all walking with the Lord. He's now has I don't know how many grandchildren. They're all walking with the Lord. His oldest are in college. Um, and, and you just see it and they love being around each other. They're joyful. They're happy. Um, they, they're just, they're wonderful. They're thriving. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's the, um, I mean, watching that literally has been the, one of the, probably the biggest encouragements to me, but then you see him actually in the counseling room, uh, working with people. I'm just being there. He's, you know, I've, I've had to work alongside him for years. I really, really appreciate his wisdom, his experience. Um, you know, just like any other trade, um, the guy who's been doing it for years and years has a sixth sense about, you know, the plumber, the mechanic. Ah, I think we're going to check this. Right. You're like, how do you know that? I don't know. I just think we should check it. Yeah. You know, and it's pa- pastoral sixth sense develops too. And so I've, I, you know, thankfully been like, I think I've maybe a little bit by osmosis have, you know, started to develop a little bit of that sixth sense too from Pastor Doug. The flip side of it is just watching him handle the controversies. Okay. Um, as you noted, yeah, he's been under fire a lot of times. I, um, he's... He's taken hard stands that are not popular, that are not cool. Um, you know, he's he's not afraid to say, well, sometimes slavery isn't a sin. Mm-hmm. You know, and then everybody, you're racist, you're racist. And, you know, and we've yeah. had riots here, like literally riots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, homosexuality is an abomination. You know, I'm not apologizing for it. You have to be a man to be a pastor. I'm not apologizing for it. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, whatever, sexist, racist, you know. Yeah. They've actually chanted that, sexist, racist, I don't know. Go home or something. I I I've seen free speech apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's chased him around, and you know, and and, and but he handles it so graciously. Yeah, um, that's the thing that is is such a blessing to watch. And 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 when you know they've had like friends completely turn on them, betray them publicly, and what do they do? Well, he does exactly what Jesus says to do when you're slandered. He goes home and buys the best bottle of wine he can and has the best dinner they can. Hmm. He says, Lord, thank you for letting me get to experience this. And the family continues to thrive. And the family rejoices. He's taught that, you know, from the get-go. Um, that, you know, Jesus said you're going to get hated. And then when it happens, a bunch of Christians are like, wait, 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 what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, no, Jesus said you're going to be hated. And if everybody speaks well about you, whoa, mm-hmm. there's something wrong. That's, there's a problem. And, and so he's just modeled that, I think, so well. And so it's the practical pastoral ministry, but also... What happens when you're faithful is you will be hated, especially in our world. Right. If you're not hated in our world for taking a biblical stand on sexual issues, on political issues, on on just what the Bible says, and you're on a, if you're not hated, you're you are not pastoring, you are not being a faithful shepherd, and um and and I'm not saying you should go out and be a jerk. Right. No big difference. We don't there. need jerks. We need faithful shepherds. But if you're being a faithful shepherd, the wolves are going to know you're a faithful shepherd and they're going to hate you. Well, eventually, if you believe in the authority of the word, what people say about the Bible, they'll say about you because you're preaching it. Exactly. So it's just a matter of time. And Pastor Doug just modeled that so well. Well, I love that. And that's really, that's helpful for for my listeners as well. It's helpful for me. If I would have had that, that kind of paradigm for understanding 
okay, if I'm looking at a pastor and then evaluating his family, then that's a good indication of whether or not I would want to go and learn from that from that man or serve alongside or underneath him. And, yeah. and for listeners out there, I mean, take that, take note of that. Ask if you're putting resumes out, ask to talk to the pastor and then ask the elders, hey, how's the family life of the pastor? And, and get as best and clear answers as you possibly can for that. Go on on-site visit and ask to have a dinner in their home yeah. to spend time with their family. Yeah. And you should not feel like that's out of bounds. That's what the Bible says to do. And if you're considering putting yourself under him, then you, you have every right. And if he's defensive or any thinks that's odd or weird, then run away. That's so good. Pastor Toby, I appreciate it. This has been really good. Is there anything else? Like I said, I've got guys that are you know, seminarians, mostly pastors or elder teams or, or people who feel called into ministry. Is there anything else you'd say, hey, man, uh, I would love for your listeners to hear this or uh, anything, last words that you'd like to throw out there? No, I, I mean, uh, some of what we've talked about, um, I, um, I don't mean this as a as self-promotion, but um, I, put to, uh, I have a book called Bloodbot World. And, um, it, um, we'll and, put a link to that in the show notes, and, by the way. And it, and it, but it, it is, in many respects, a collection of uh, um, meditations um, on a lot of lessons I've learned in pastoral ministry. I, okay. A lot of it kind of grew out of um, random blog posts and, uh, and uh, can't impress guys contacted me and said, we really want you to put this into a book form. We think this would be really helpful. Um, and so um, that's, there, there's bits and pieces of everything that we've talked about today in terms of what I've learned in the first you know, 11 years of my, or 13 years of pastoral ministry. Um, and, and so uh, hopefully that will be helpful um, to guys Good. in ministry and preparing for ministry. Well, I'll, I will send them uh, that way to look at that book and just appreciate your time. And uh, thanks so much, listeners. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.